for Toronto FC is set to officially start tomorrow night at BMO Field. After a wild couple of months of negotiating for the club, the Spanish maestro is expected to finally make his debut as Toronto FC take on New York City FC. My name is Mitchell Tierney. You are listening to the Footy Talks podcast and ahead on the show we will preview that TFC NYCFC matchup. We will also recap Canada's international break as well as their draw for the inaugural CONCACAF Nations League, and even chat some Vancouver Whitecaps as well on this week's show. To do all that, it's a debutante from the score. It's Devang Desai. Devang, great to have you on. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's start with Canada um, as we are coming off the international break and have you know actual matches to talk about for them. Um, but I think the the biggest bit of news uh, for Canada right now is is last night's Nations League draw and the fact that. Um, we do know now what their group will look like in that inaugural uh, League A uh, Nations League competition. Canada drew Cuba and the United States, which or whom they will play during September, October, and November of this year. Pretty exciting, to be honest. Uh, I actually uh, was was talking in the Waking the Red group chat before uh, before this draw happened and said I would love for Canada to draw Cuba and the United States, uh, the draw they actually got. Uh, just because, well, for one, the United States are, you know, it's it's kind of Canada's forgotten rival just because, well, first off, we haven't played them in a competitive match in, in it feels like, a long time now. And, uh, you know, they're just naturally Canada's sports rival. And then Cuba is a really tough opponent. So this is going to keep Canada honest in this group for sure and really give us a, a full idea of what Canada looks like. Uh, what did you make of the draw? No, many of the same things. I think that's the ideal draw for Canada. Getting these games against the United States, I think, is massive for the program. And I think John Herdman would agree with that. Um, Cuba also tough. But I think renewing that rivalry and also measuring the Canadian team up to where they want to be, I think playing the United States twice in this format's a really fantastic development. I mean, as much as qualifying for the Gold Cup was great, I think when we get more of these matches against the likes of the USA and Mexico and Costa Rica and CONCACAF, we'll really see how, how much this group is progressing. So no complaints there. It's super interesting to see where that match happens in Canada. If it's at BMO field, it'll be very interesting to see the reception for Michael Bradley or Josie, if they do play in that game. So that's great. I, I, I think going back to what you said about the rivalry, we need to get this back. And I think for us to be considered, for Canada to be considered, yeah, moving ahead and moving forward positively results against the United States would be a hell of a way to show it at the end of the year. Yeah, you can't really take anything for granted in this group, that's for sure. I mean, uh, Cuba is probably the toughest side you could get out of those, uh, you know, pot C teams. I mean, if they had gotten Bermuda or like a Martinique or something like that, you could see Canada, you know, fairly easily cruising to, to stay up in League A, but here they're going to have to be basically good in, in all of their games, uh, which makes it that much more difficult, but also that much more challenging for a team that uh, I think this Canada team kind of anticipates challenges in a way that, uh, you know, we haven't seen in a number of years. It used to be, what's the easiest route Canada can get through, <laughs> yeah. you know, a number yeah. of competitions, but now uh, we actually do want to see what this this collection of talent can do against some of the top teams in CONCACAF so we're at least guaranteed that in the Nations League coming up which is very exciting um, during that international break of course Canada did qualify for said Nations League with a 4-1 win over French Guiana in the final game of 
I guess the only Nations League qualifiers. They don't really need to do that anymore now that uh, we have Nations League proper starting. Uh, brace for Cavallini, Hoylet, and David scoring as well. Uh, what did you make of that game? Because uh, I think overall it was a pretty solid performance from Canada, barring you know one moment that uh, w- was pretty shocking. Yeah, overall solid. I think I, like many Canadian supporters, got PTSD when that Piet back pass went awry <laughs> and French Guiana scored. And you're like, all right, how is this going to go horribly wrong? Because that was bad. But overall, they settled in well. And I, I, it's, it's pretty remarkable, I think, the depth the, the program has compared to years past. And I know a lot of these kids are unproven or still pretty young. But it's comforting to see that it's not just the team needing to play around the likes of a junior Hoylet because he plays in the Prem. And it's, it's about... Uh, the positive uh, attributes amongst the whole team and not just one player I thought Mark Anthony Kay was fantastic I think mm-hmm. him being back from injury is huge and we talk about um, successors to the throne that Atiba has and rightfully so I think Mark Anthony Kay is definitely someone I, I think can fill those shoes maybe not to that same level obviously but he, he looked great and he's looked great for his club as well in LA David Cavallini solid as well um I think it's it's interesting. Louis Cavallini, he's got that um, that horrible cliche, but he's got that eye for net. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he's got that ability to find himself in the proper situations where the goals don't necessarily have to be world class or beautiful, but he's in the right place, which is an obviously a good thing. Um, and and then I, I think in terms of negatives, the back line is still TBD. We'll see. I know Mitch, you had some thoughts on that, but Derek Cornelius is twenty one, Daniel's twenty five. Mm-hmm. They're not old, but I'm I'm curious what you think in terms of what that backline will look like when this this program is in a better footing than they are now. Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> you know, if I'm Herdman right now, I'm I'm recruiting very hard in terms of you know Ricardo Ferreira, who again we don't know what his health looks like. So that's uh, that's one caveat there. And uh, Fioko Tamore, who's going to be very difficult to <laughs> to recruit because of you know. <laughs> how well he's done with the the England setup there um but yeah it's it's tough because like you said Daniil and and you know he, he's kind of a they, they just don't have that I don't know that solid presence back there if that makes sense like that one player who can marshal a back line and who I'm confident in to to be able to you know marshal the make everybody or like know everybody's in their like right proper positions at all times they're they're kind of Drew Moore type player um, look, Daniel's been pretty solid for Canada during this during this setup. I mean, he almost gave away that penalty. It obviously, wasn't a penalty, and and uh, unexpectedly great call from the Concacaf referee there. Shocking, shocking. Yeah. shocking <laughs> I, th- I thought the second there was any <laughs> sort of idea of contact in the box, it'd be a penalty. But uh, thankfully, him or his assistant uh, saw that there wasn't actually any contact, and it was kind of a desperate play. But yeah, it's tough because any of those guys, you throw a Mandricard James in there who uh, missed this camp because actually he's been getting minutes in the top Danish division. He might be your number one defender right now. But yeah, I, I'm just waiting for that one player to come here and really grasp that back line because right now, I mean, it could be the same back line we've seen um, with Cornelius and Daniil going into the Gold Cup or, you know, Vittoria could come back into the mix. You've got Jakovic still playing for uh, LAFC. It's it's really hard to to kind of handicap what the what the back line will look uh, like going into, you know, further rounds. And we'll get into this when we talk about the White Caps, but I think it's been really hard for Cornelius overall. Like, you come into mm-hmm. a new league, 
you've been playing in a bunch of different positions. I think Mark Dos Santos is trying to kind of work things out in, in defensive terms with Vancouver, and that's let the Cornelius play out of position sometimes. And it's a huge adjustment. So I'm I'm willing to give him more time, but I, I do question long term if that's going to be good enough. And currently, I, I just don't think so. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's there's been some gems uncovered before and and Mandraker James is someone who I think if we talked about a couple years ago playing in the top flight of the Danish league we'd be over the moon about that Mm -hmm. development so there are some positives there but I I think going forward that's definitely something that we need to work out I feel like potential is not something you necessarily want in your back line you know what I mean like you don't want you don't want you know to to say you have a, a center back pairing that's like full of potential you want just some solidity there versus you want to you want to know where the ceiling is, right? Yeah. You don't really know where that ceiling might be. It's like if you're in a house and you know where the ceiling is, you feel comfortable. And I think exactly. that's where. Yeah, that's it's a little, it's a little different with an attacker where you you sure. kind of know, um, you know, they might be able to to do something a little bit different. But with a defender, you know, you wanna you wanna be assured of yourself. So, yeah, again, that's that's probably the most uh, interesting position going into, uh, you know, the summer and and the Nations League for Canada, but everything's kind of up for debate right now which which also makes things you know an interesting conversation because uh, I think it's I think it's fairly safe to say Cavallini has has won a spot up front as Canada's main striker uh, Kyle Aaron has not been in great shape for a club uh, or country lately um, so you know it's it's pretty clear there I, I think obviously uh, Alfonso Davies gets a starting position uh, when he comes back it seems like John Herdman really wants to turn him into an attacker which or you know, play him as an attacker, which I think is the is the right call, especially for the national team uh, in terms of you know what I, what I can expect him to do against Concacaf defenders. Um, Scott Arfield's the captain, so you'd think for sure he'd be playing in the midfield for Canada and probably Atiba for as long as he he you know decides to to pull on the red and white. Uh, so those are four players that you know I'd consider locks for Canada in the midfield and attack, but. Other than that, you have so many good options that, that you could go to and, and players who give you slightly different looks. So uh, I think that's going to be very interesting to watch into a Gold Cup, you know, opening day at the Gold Cup. And as the tournament goes on, uh, which of these players Herdman picks to, um, you know, be his, his consistent starters on the national team? Uh, are there any players who over this Nations League setup or uh, even with what they're doing at their club, you kind of uh, put ahead of others in terms of, uh, you know, who might join that group in, in either the midfield or the attack? To be honest, I, the midfield, to me, I don't know where anyone gets in there. I think, like yeah. you said, it's pretty locked. Um, in the attack, you have, I think there's there's questions to be asked about what Herdman wants to do, really, because I think if you looked at that, that triumvirate they had against French Guyana, like, that, to me, that's fine. Like, that's that's more than fine, but that's mm-hmm. French Guyana as well. So I can understand if you want some more um, maybe attacking flair out of out of maybe the wingers there but I don't I and this is crazy for me to say but I, I think Oso is not as hard of a lock as I thought he would be I think uh not underwhelming but I just I wasn't I wasn't blown away by his performance over this mm-hmm. qualifying span and I like when you mention how many midfielders we have or how many players that could be converted into maybe a winger in that formation those positions that Piet and Osori occupied on on Sunday are not necessarily locks to me anymore, which is a good thing. This is only a good mm-hmm. thing going forward. But that's where I would I would kind of be more hesitant to lock in anyone else outside of the people you mentioned. There's a lot of interesting characters. I I questioned if Kyle Aaron might might think about coming back to North America sooner than later. But outside of that, man, it's it's really it's hard to tell. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Sorio's an interesting one because I do think John Herdman really likes him, and I think he's one of the players that uh, Herdman initially identified as someone who really bought into his vision and, you know, as someone who was in Toronto, uh, a big player on an MLS side, and obviously with the year Jonathan Osorio had last year, it was very easy to make him a central piece of this Canadian men's national team. But even now you likely have Ustakio coming in, you know, say October um, when he comes back from his injury. And that adds another wrinkle in there. I think you're, you're going to really need players in that, you know, if you're going to win a spot in the Canadian midfield, you're going to have to do multiple things and, and be a player that can uh, show up in different positions. And, uh, you know, Osorio is a great player, but I wonder if he's a bit more of a complimentary piece or, or at least he has been in the past for Toronto FC. So yeah, it's going to be very, you know, it's, it's a great position for Herdman to be in, but it's also a difficult position for him to be in. And I feel like each passing game for Canada, the decision becomes more difficult because more and more players step up. Like you mentioned, uh, Kay returning and having a fantastic performance, even though he didn't play uh, in that central position. And, uh, you know, a guy like Jonathan David just emerging onto the scene. I mean, how do you keep him out? But at the same time, you've got Hoylet and Davies there. So, you know, how do you get him in? So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting, um, which which, of course, leads us to the Gold Cup this summer. We don't necessarily know what Canada's, you know, path there is going to look like and until April 10th when uh, we get the draw for that but um, you know what what for you are you looking for in this gold cup because uh, obviously last time they were able to to get to that corner quarterfinal stage but of course they only won one match and that was against the aforementioned French Guiana uh, a little bit of a different French Guiana team but um, still a you know still that being their only win in that uh, in that competition um, so what's what are you kind of looking for here? Is it like kind of stylist, stylistically, tactically, or or do you want to see Canada um, really get some results that that push them up there into you know kind of the upper echelon of Concacaf teams that they really fancy themselves being a part of right now? I think much like the the Nations League draw, I, I want to see Canada draw in a relatively difficult group because again, like I think what we are all looking forward to is 2022 in that qualifying process, and this mm-hmm. is another step along the way. And as much as results are great, it would be nice to rather than sneak into a quarterfinal like we did la- last time when you mentioned only notching one win. I would like it to be a difficult road, but I still think quarterfinals definitely have to be part of the plan. And if we're talking Dreamland, I mean, if Canada wants to make that World Cup, they've got to be at least the top four in, in CONCACAF, right? So you would imagine yeah. that a semifinal berth would be, it would go a long way in terms of believing that that goal is, is able to be accomplished. But realistically, I, I think quarterfinals is fine, but I'm more curious about a lot of the stuff we were just talking about in terms of selection and, and when Herdman has everyone available to him, it's going to be very interesting to see who he leans on because for the first time in a, I first time in my lifetime for sure we are not begging people to come back and play mm-hmm. for us right there's there's options and and that's that can only be a good thing but it's a lot to manage for John yeah and managing the the egos as well of course I mean you know you've got uh, a guy like Liam Miller or Blue Tabla who you know are affiliated with two of the top clubs in uh, in the entire world in terms of soccer and they didn't even get a minute uh, against French Guiana so uh, that's going to be difficult as well for Herdman is is trying to make sure all of these players who uh, you know have such a good pedigree uh, stay happy with with their role in the national team as well especially um, you know a guy like Miller he, he'll have 
opportunities to play for the Liverpool first team in preseason during the time when the Gold Cup's going on. So that's going to be an interesting choice for uh, for the young man if if you know he wants to join Canada for that competition. They they should have a mandated thirty minute session with Ativa where they talk to the kids about times of past in Canadian soccer just so they understand <laughs> where where we've come and where we're at. It's in cherishes, but yeah, no, totally. It's I would I would I would want to be in John Herbert's shoes because that's an amazing job, but I wouldn't <laughs> want to be I wouldn't want to be in the sense that there's going to be a lot of conflicts. I think internally, ego wise, but again, that's football, right? I think that we see that across any league, any any national team. So it is what it is. Yeah, our colleague James Grossi had the interesting theory that that's one of the reasons why Will Johnson was uh, was brought into camp because he was one of those players who who was on the field during that uh, that horrific eight one loss, and that he'd be able to you know kind of talk to the, some of the younger players about where the program has come from and and how we avoid something like that ever happening again for Canada. So uh, an interesting theory there. Obviously, Will Johnson did, never ended up in Canada camp because he. Uh, he did get injured before the camp, but um, yeah, that's that's something to watch for there. Of course, is is the selection and uh, how everyone fits into the the national team setup going forward. Um, let's move on to Toronto FC, where you know we'll kind of be asking a bit of similar questions uh, going into their game this weekend uh, against NYCFC. Uh, Pozuelo, Alejandro Pozuelo, the player they've been chasing for uh, it seems like a year now, but it's it's probably only been a couple months uh, since Sebastian Javinko decided to uh, depart for Saudi Arabia. Will finally officially make his debut, or is at least expected to, against NYFC. Um, what what do you think we see from him in terms of minutes? Uh, do you think we'll see him starting? Obviously, he hasn't had a lot of time in training uh, with the club, and we know Greg Vanny, you know, with guys like Nico Hasler and and other players who have come in in the past, he likes to uh, make sure they're kind of assured of their place in the team um, and, and their role before he, you know, rolls them out on game day, at least in a starting position. But at the same time, this is a player coming from a, a European season where he's been in great form, so you'd think, you know, he'll, he'll be fine to start the games. Uh, do you think we see him as a substitute or, or a starter in this game? Because I obviously would be shocked if we don't see him at all in, in some capacity. I mean, Greg Vanny's basically said we'll see him at some point during the game. Right. I, I think you, you plug and play. You plug and play for at least 60 minutes, an hour, mm-hmm. see how the game's going. But I, I would I would imagine that Greg gets him into that starting lineup because I also think uh, without massive amounts of training time, it's, it'll be interesting to see how that midfield works when you when you add someone back like a Victor Vasquez because in the first couple of games that TFC have played, that midfield has looked very different than what yeah. we're used to, I think. And, and that, to me, is the biggest question with Pozo is where where he eventually settles in and why not get this process underway much sooner right off the top of a game than later? And I, I would imagine that's where Greg's leaning to as well. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, again, it's kind of the attacking versus defending thing. You know, if he was a, a holding midfielder or a center back uh, and you kind of plug and play, there could be some bigger issues there, but an attacking guy, I mean, he'll get opportunities to try different things and, um, you know, from what we've seen, he, he definitely has the skill to, to create plenty of chances for his teammates even if he hasn't fully understood, you know, the kind of runs and, and kind of plays they're going to make yet. So uh, I'd agree, uh, you know, I'd be starting him in this match and, and seeing what he can do uh, initially. The the other question is kind of where do you start him in a Toronto FC lineup? You mentioned we've seen a, a bit of a different look midfield from Toronto this year without that maybe true number 10 um, for Toronto. Uh, you know, I 
I really see the benefits for this move for a guy like Osorio, who kind of has has been forced to play that number ten position. When uh, really he's he's more of a number eight and more of a, a complementary midfield player for me, who uh, who can you know make those deep runs into the box and, and and make some good passes, but probably isn't the player making the final pass uh, the way Pozuelo will be doing for Toronto FC. So where do you fit him in? Because uh, it's going to be interesting and complicated with a, a number of different midfield options and of course the club wanting to play wide players as well i i honestly and hear me out tell me if this is crazy but i i would almost play him right right behind the striker so Mm -hmm. it's almost as if he is the second forward um we saw seba do that obviously and they're not the same player he's not filling that role but in terms of the setup greg is currently working with i think he's looking to go forward with that i'm reading between the lines in terms of what he said in interviews but yeah I, I would imagine that the best case scenario right now is that if, if Josie's healthy, of course, you have Josie and then Pozo right 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 there and up top. And if if Josie's not healthy, you have someone like Jordan Jordan Norio Akinola kind of playing that lead striker role with Pozo right behind him. And let's see how that works because I again they they might not do that, but I think there's there's enough players in here that you don't want to take out. You don't want to take Nick DeLeon out. You don't mm-hmm. want to take um, obviously, you don't want to take Oso out, and and I think where Michael has been playing, he's excelling, and he's excelling for country as well. And I think he's, he's on top form, so I don't want to shake that up too much. So I think the the safest way to do this is to to play him almost right up top beside the the first forward. Yeah, I don't think that's that's crazy at all. I mean, that's kind of what Toronto did when they were at their best in terms of where Victor Vasquez was positioned relative to. Uh, Josie and Seba. Greg really likes his kind of main uh, attacking players to combine. Um, so yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, very interested to see what they what they do kind of with the wide attack. But I wonder uh, something they did last week or two weeks ago, I guess their last match. Uh, that that uh, I wonder if they do maybe until they they bring in a left winger on Tam, which you know you'd think would be one of their main targets. Um, was they obviously had Deleon out on the right playing that kind of uh, right wing position, and they ha- then they had Jay Chapman in what you would kind of think was the complementary role on the left side, but uh, Chapman would kind of tuck in and, and combine in the middle, whereas Justin Morrow was then left to, to kind of bomb up that side um, when Chapman attracted the defender inside. So I wonder if that's where you'd put Nasorio and in kind of a... Yeah. Yeah, uh, 4-2-3-1 and, and kind of let Morrow um, you know, do what he does best as an attacking fullback. That makes a lot of sense to me. And, I, and just going back to that New England game, which felt like it happened 10 years ago, yeah. rather than a couple of weeks ago. I thought, Jay, I know that hilarious non-offside call that led to the goal, and Jay was a part of that. But overall, I, I, I still don't know if Jay is comfortable in that position. And I think someone like Jonathan Osorio might be more suited to play that role. So I like that idea a lot. Well, yeah, we'll obviously see uh, tomorrow whether or what Greg Vanny has. Uh, he tends to, you know, when I finally feel like I've got him pinned down in terms of the formation. And, and, he's like, all right, yeah, he's exactly. Yeah. He he uh, he really seems to have a, a bunch of different ideas going on. So we'll see which uh, which of them he comes up with uh, against. Uh, NYCFC, especially if if Pozuelo is starting, uh, will be very interesting. Looking ahead to that match, I mean, NYCFC, three straight draws to start this year. Um, They're a team a bit in transition, you could say. 
but uh, some some solid players. I mean, that Alexander Matritsu, uh, I watched him against LAFC, and he, he was ripping them apart uh, pretty consistently. Again, I, f- I feel like he's one of those players who will benefit greatly from the small field just because, you know, he's able to pick up the ball and, and kind of attack immediately uh, at Yankee Stadium. But he'd be one who I'm certainly watching uh, a big transfer fee for him coming in. I think it was $8.5 million, which is probably close to what Toronto FC paid for, for Pozuelo. So, uh, you know, this will be a chance to see two of the the bigger off-season acquisitions uh, potentially go head-to-head, which uh, should be a lot of fun. Definitely. I think that that's two points lost versus LAFC New York will feel like because I thought they played extremely well in that game. And mm-hmm. Mitsurita, is, he's one of those guys that you can tell pretty quickly that he's going to have a very fun time in MLS. And you saw what he was able to do in that game. And I'm curious if that new Brazilian striker uh, they brought over on Tam Aber from Croatia will get a, get a run out as well on Friday night because oftentimes I feel like it goes like this in MLS where like someone you've never you never really heard of this person but they are clearly excelling from where they came from and they usually do pretty well I think there's a Mm -hmm. there's a there's a weird study you could do about this but the guy coming (laughs) guy coming over from Croatia 27 years old reasonable fee it looks like they paid for him it looks like they will need he's their center forward that's the the hole they had so I'd be curious to see if he starts as well but in terms of the, how the Eastern Conference will look at the end of the season, this is big for me because I, 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 I've been on the record saying I think TFC can be a top-four team in the East, but I think a slow start aside, New York City FC will get there, get to where they want to be pretty soon, I think. And that that's one of those teams that I worry about in that four to seven range where you're thinking about positioning for the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean... A lot of people are kind of positioning this as Toronto FC's first true test in MLS. Uh, we, we've seen them obviously play Philly away, and uh, you definitely can't take that result away from them in terms of you know getting a big away result uh, to start the season away from home. That's that's never easy in MLS, certainly. And then uh, coming home and, and beating a New England Revolution side, who I think a lot of people expect to maybe be pushing for the playoff bubble, but certainly be uh, closer to you know the, the red line, um, the bottom of the red line, than than above it um so th- this is a, a game against a team that i think most people would a, would have at least in their top uh seven in terms of you know eastern conference sides and and potentially more towards those those top four teams uh, so what are you looking for toronto fc in this or from toronto fc in this match in, in in terms of you know life's life signs and and what they'll need to do going forward um in this season because obviously we've we'll discuss the back line and and you know what we've seen from that there that's probably for me the the main one that i'm looking for in this match is how does the back line do against uh you know some very very good attacking players in in mls for sure i i found it not strange but maybe it almost understandable like when seven and victor left it was like how is tfc going to score and i don't think that was ever going to be an issue because this team will be able to score yeah my question was and this goes from last year is how are they not going to how are they going to keep people from scoring on them and the jury's still out for me on that because from what i saw against new england it didn't look didn't look as put together as you would have hoped and obviously it's really it's still early in the season but for me that's the biggest thing and i i think if if we stick with maybe that three at the back, then and then you have more Mavinga and Simon there, and you have Aro and Moro as those wing backs, maybe that's the. I do think that when you had the three of them at the back together, it does maybe seem a bit too chaotic. So, the back line is my biggest question, and and also, the midfield when they're not in attack and positioning is what I want to see an improvement on from the first two games. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I think that midfield especially, I mean, there's almost been a too offensive of a balance in it. Uh, you know, if a guy like Jonathan Osorio is your second most defensive <laughs> midfielder uh, in transition, you're going to get caught a lot. So um, I, th- I think a guy like Marky Delgado is going to be very crucial this season in terms of, uh, you know, being in that starting 11 and, and at least keeping teams honest as they try to transition into attack. So yeah, let's transition to our final topic now, that being the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, Devang, you spent some some time in Vancouver, um, so you'll be maybe a little more plugged into uh, the Whitecaps scene there. Um, very interesting start to the season. Obviously, we expected it to be um, you know, difficult for them as they go through one of the biggest transitions in sports I think I've ever seen, and uh, that's probably why we'll... Uh, why we'll be looking at uh, them a lot this year on on this show. Um, th- three losses to, to start the year, the first time they've ever lost their first three games in an MLS season, but at the same time, all single-goal losses and all kind of self-inflicted errors uh, in terms of uh, you know how those goals have happened and uh, kind of getting a little bit unlucky with the officiating as well, so maybe some room to grow there. For sure, I, I the officiating issues. I'm 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 low to to complain about uh, poor calls. Just joking, I do it all the time, and I love it. <laughs> but in this case, I think Vancouver definitely has a fair shout. They've been on the wrong end. Some some calls that have actually been reversed following the game, and when the PRO does the the reviews. But I like what Mark Dos Santos is doing. I think it was always going to be hard, like you mentioned, with the, the massive amounts of turnover. Um, their backline has not been healthy either, and there's been a lot of change there. I think we mentioned Cornelius off the top, but. Mm-hmm. An extremely tough start. I think the left side of that defense is a problem. Um, the one game he did not start was arguably Vancouver's best of best defensive performance. That that one no loss to Real Salt Lake, which is not a good not a good look, I guess, if you're Derek Cornelius. But again, I, I'm willing to give him more time. Give Mark Dos Santos a lot of time. I think he he will come good in the way that I I think tactically he knows too much about this league to mm-hmm. to get outmatched in that regard and. There's so many new guys, and I, I think the positives in this is that they, they know, for the most part, how they want to play, but it's that execution, which is obviously the hardest part. But there's, there's a lot of positives. I, I'm not going to be overly negative with the Whitecaps. They had definitely a tough draw to start, but I think they will be okay in the end. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I could see them pushing for those playoff spots, given... Um, well, given the fact that almost everyone makes the playoffs now in MLS. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you did mention the the back line, and that's for me the most interesting thing, just from a Canadian Canadian men's national team standpoint, because Daniil and Derek Cornelius have been uh, John Herdman's kind of starting pairing of choice so far, and uh, and you know you've got Maxime Crepeau back there as well, and and a guy like Brett Levis uh, kind of waiting in the wings. He, he's been injured to start the season and injured a lot, to be honest, uh, which you know might uh, might negate his chances of ever playing for Canada unfortunately unless he can you know get a good stretch here going where he's healthy but um what have you made of of those players so far and, and you know you mentioned Cornelius a little bit and some of the struggles he's had but uh, I thought Daniil's had actually a pretty solid start to the year um he seems to be a bit of a less reckless player which I, I mean they, they've given away like four or five penalties so far and none of them have been Daniil so that's that's got to be positive. Yeah, that's got to be considered a positive. And uh, Craig Poe's done uh, fairly well as well, I think, in kind of his first major stretch of of starting games in MLS. Yeah, I, I think uh, Eric Godoy, another addition, has been okay. He's mm-hmm. been he's been um, 
definitely serviceable. I think when you're looking at a guy like that, he's 25 years old. You're also looking at him to grow with the rest of the defenders. So in that sense, I think a nucleus is good. I don't know if Jake Nuritsky is an MLS starting caliber player. I, I'm pretty close to saying he's not. I know he's he's much beloved by the fan base over in Vancouver, but I don't necessarily think he's the answer there either. So there, there's a group there that you can definitely build with. And, and we mentioned off the top that Daniil and, and Cornelius are not old guys, but I think the issue in MLS is, and, and you saw what happened to Toronto last year, is that if you start slowly, it's one thing. But if you can't really stem the tide before you're halfway through the season, that tide doesn't get stopped. And it just comes in and ruins your village. So I, I don't know if they'll figure that out quick enough. But mm-hmm. everything else around the, the attacking side of the team and what they're able to do, I think I think Jordi Reyna has been kind of poor so far this year. And I think Freddie Montero's not fully back. But if you look at Huang and what he's he's doing all over the pitch, exactly what you want from a guy like that i think johnny reese really struggling i think to get used to timing in mls i know there's mm. a moment against minnesota we got caught on the ball for far too long which led eventually to a minnesota goal but you look at his track record he should be able to come good on that andy rose looks like a player that you can use uh scott setter uh i'm not really i wouldn't say he is <laughs> i think it's just a guy that's there i mean he's he's a journeyman at this point if Orlando's willing to jettison him, then I, I have some concerns about his usefulness. But there's more good than bad. And I think if we're looking at guys they brought in that have impressed me the most, I think you look at a guy like Las Vangura, who mm-hmm. I think changed the game when he came on against Houston and, and replaced Derek Cornelius. So that was a, a he's looked good. He's looked very good. And I think, as I mentioned, like you got a guy like Huang Nguyen, who's, who's starting for Korea against Bolivia and Colombia, and he's working his tail off for you in the middle of your midfield. These are positive things. I think MDS will figure it out. Yeah, that's that's kind of what the season will be, or at least the early part of the season will be for Vancouver. And and they just brought in another player in Ali Adnan, who uh, on loan from Udinese as a defender is kind of figuring out, you know, starting a number of these players and kind of figuring out who uh, who's going to step up and and be good in this system and who's uh, you know not going to work out as well. And then and then finding that core group of players that you can really rely on game in and game out. And I think they're uh, like you said, we've seen in a number of those players step up last Bangura uh, Hong is the, the obvious one he's been fantastic so far um, and, and you know it shows the potential to, to only get better uh, so you have a, a couple of those players who are really stepping up and, the, and then some that have struggled as well so yeah that's certainly going to be uh, interesting to watch as they, they kind of find out uh, which of those guys are, are are going to be their key players uh, as this season goes on. And as I said, the Whitecaps will be one of those teams that uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on on this show just because uh, they, they do have the big Canadian men's national team connection and, of course, uh, are, for me, the most fascinating team in MLS this year. Um, but we're going to wrap up the show there. Uh, Devang, thank you so much for joining me this week. Always a pleasure, man. Take care. And to the rest of you, thanks for listening. Uh, if you do enjoy the show, don't forget to give it a rating and review on iTunes. I, I don't really pretend to know how the Apple algorithm works, but somehow it, it helps out. So uh, thank you if you do that. And until next time, enjoy your week.